Hi, everybody, and welcome to Ornate Stairwells, a movie podcast. Uh, we might talk about movies this time. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, we still did need. watch a bunch of movies. Yeah, we do have a we have a list to get through, so. Yeah. Um, we were going to, at the start of this, look at um, the list of best-selling manga of all time, and now I can't remember why we were doing that. What was the motivation um, there? Well, I've just been extremely non-brained. Yeah, you've been non-brained. I've been extremely non-brained. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why you originally brought it up, though. I think, like, I don't know why you looked for this. You told me to wait to open it. Oh yeah, I I I remember now that I brought it up because if you open it, you just realize that like the stuff that like we in America think is like popular is just so wildly different from like what is popular in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like obviously one piece is at the top, but like Golgo 13 is, is apparently the second best-selling manga of all time. I've never met an American Golgo 13 fan. <laughs> um, I mean, you have met me. I haven't actually read that much Golgo 13, but uh, I do own the NES game. Um, There's shit I've never heard of, like Crayon Shinchan. Oh, I know what that is. I just didn't know what that was called. Um, yeah. I don't know. I was just looking at it. We were talking about it because... Um, we were talking about how, like, Nana is not super well-known here, despite being a very popular thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and so, like, I mean, at this list here, at least um, 100 million copies and above are all um, Shonen and Seinen. Yeah. Um, and and Doraemon. <laughs> yeah. Which is, which, like, Which different. is children. <laughs> yeah. Um, Doraemon has, like, baked goods that look like him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Yeah, and then if you go down below, what, it still takes a while until you get to, to Shoujo. Um, I guess there's Boys Over Flowers, um, mm-hmm. which did fairly, fairly well. Um, and then, what, Glass Mask. And then there's Nana. I think those yeah. are the only two above Nana. Yeah. Um, uh, also, if you um, this Wikipedia list lets you so- sort by um, like average sales per volume, and by that measure, like Nana shoots up a, a huge amount to where it's higher than a lot of the things that have sold like over a hundred million copies. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nana. Just doing this little sort here by volume. Um, Nana has outsold... Actually, let me go to the ones that are up in the least 100 million copies and above. Yeah. Um, just it, to, it, like... By that sort, it, like, kicks the shit out of Bleach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, like, <laughs> by volume, Nana is at, what, uh, 2.38 million? Um, mm-hmm. so that's, yeah, above Bleach, which is 1.62 million, above Google 13... Um, above above Oshinbo, which is the, the cooking manga I told you to read. Yeah, it's above JoJo. Um, yeah, it's just like incredible. And then... Comparable what? to Detective Conan or Naruto. Uh, yeah. It, comparable to Naruto. Comparable. Yeah. <laughs> Less than Naruto, but still. Um, 
you know, outsold Hunter Hunter, My Hero Academia. Um, God, yeah, there's just like so much. Also, also sorting by average sales per volume, De- Devil Man being like ten million per volume is bananas. <laughs> yeah, nothing on this list comes close to Devil Man. Apparently, <laughs> Dragon Ball, no. Demon Slayer, no. One Piece, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Sailor Moon, no. This is this is the wild thing, though. By both metrics, both like overall sold and then by volume, Nana outstrips Sailor Moon, which yeah. is like the shojo in the U.S. Yes. Um, I didn't realize Sailor Moon outstrips a lot of stuff. This I this average sales per volume thing is way more useful. Uh, yeah, I just want to. I'm going to send you some that were also the years that they were coming out. Um, so this one is the top manga of 2007. Number one, One Piece, number 46. Number two, Nana, number 18. Hmm. Number three, Nodami Cantabile, which is a a cute manga. Number 17. Uh, Number four, Naruto. Number five, Full Metal Alchemist. Number six, Hunter Hunter. Number seven, Hmm. Bleach. Number eight, D. Gray Man. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This is 2007. Yeah. Just Nana's blowing them out of the water. Then 2008, um, Nana 19 and 20 are placed on here at number two, or uh, number three and number five. The only ones that are beating it are One Piece. Uh, so again, outselling Naruto, Full Metal Alchemist, Bleach, Hunter Hunter. Um, just incredible. <laughs> and I then also I, the, yeah. the final volume that's been released, because uh, I was explaining to you that... Um, Yozawa I got some sort of the illness that she has is unclear, but it's affected her ability to uh, do comics. She did like a two page bonus thing once um, after she was more recovered. And she said like that two pages was all I could do because if I sat too long, I would pass out. Um, so hopefully she recovers, but um, yeah, 21 was the the last one to be released, I believe. Um mm-hmm. And, you know, again, One Piece is beating it here, but then Nana, again, above Naruto, Bleach, all those ones. So just, like, consistently bangers. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and it's just, like, not a thing that anybody... It is not a thing that I feel like is well-known in the West, you know? Yeah. People might be like, oh, I, I like, read some of... um, the like shoujo beat or whatever but it's almost like this like very niche thing and it was mm-hmm. just like no this was like the biggest like manga for women for a really long time in japan yeah um just like totally outselling a lot of other stuff so and and also like during this it was running concurrent with paradise kiss for part of its run you know yeah um, uh, I don't know. Paradise Kiss doesn't look like it's on here at all. Um, uh, by I think at this point, Paradise Kiss may have been an may have ended because Paradise Kiss was like a little bit before Nana ran. Well, yeah, I, I just mean that I think I saw Nana runs from uh 2000 to 2009, and Paradise Kiss runs from 2000 to 2004. So yeah. Um. Oh, Paradise Kiss is much shorter. That's why. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, I have the like omnibus of, of that and plan to read it as well. Um, but for some reason, I decided to get into her longer and more beloved one first. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm wondering if there's like an order that we want to talk about thing. Are, are we doing, movie? we didn't like talk about the plan for this. No, no, let's just go, uh, you, okay. Let's do. You rate the stairwells on innocence and um, Nana first because, like, yeah, we've we've been talking about Nana. We will continue talking about Nana. Your intense Nana brain, uh, <laughs> and you have talked about innocence elsewhere. So I just want to hear a rating on the stairwell to start us off. Yeah, um, I gave it a C plus for the stairs for innocence. People can go and listen to that Ghost Divers episode. Um, the stupidest, longest intro bit that we've ever done on a podcast but it was great um it was very funny to do but there's just a moment where i was like what the fuck are we doing (laughs) um (laughs) uh and yeah i i i think the main stairs so there's like two sets there's one where um bato just like busts into a yakuza um like headquarters and just shoots everyone and then they're trying to go up the stairs where there's some more yakuza um and they do comment on how the stairs look like dark and foreboding or something which i just thought was funny because i think i like tweeted it on one of my accounts as uh us rating the stairwells in a movie like trying to talk through it (laughs) um but i think the main one is actually there's like a a recursive um mansion that they go through and there's like a big ornate stairwell that's like you know the the two sides going up it's like honestly the matrix probably stole this (laughs) um kind of vibes (laughs) um and you know going up to like the 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 middle and at the bottom like in between the two stairwells because they kind of like curve up to like one platform but on are on other sides of the room on the lower floor um, between those is like the major as Bato's guardian angel who like has these things to help him through the recursive mansion puzzle, basically. Um, and those look really good, but none of it felt like thematic. So I might bump this up to like a B minus, but um, yeah, I'll do a B minus. But it's okay. still like, it, you know, they're ornate, but they're not like thematic. And that's what I want. Listeners, um, if you if you hear a, a velcro sound, uh, I sprained my wrist and I've been adjusting my wrist brace a lot because uh, it hurts sometimes. Um, yeah. If you don't like that sound, deal with it. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> that's just how it is. Um, and then Nana, I guess we will get more into Nana, but mm. I'll do the stairwells first, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about. You started reading Nana, and I'm just fully Nana brained. Um, your, but your I did watch not a break. Yeah. <laughs> um, so part of that is in addition to currently reading through the manga and watching through the show, I watched the first live action movie. I'm probably going to wait until they get a little bit further in the show in the, the manga before I watch the, the second one. Um, but, uh, in general, like I, while I was watching it, I was just like texting you all of my critiques of the live action. Um, mm. And then I still gave it four stars on uh, Letterboxd because it is <laughs> Nana. It's just my least favorite Nana thing. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think that I guess like my, my biggest critiques of it is um, 
One is like early on, I think I, I got more into the vibe of it as it went on. But uh, at the very beginning, it the comedy, when they're trying to do comedy, it doesn't really hit. And they kind of drop trying to do some of the comedy stuff as it goes on. And it, I think it gets better for it. Um, because so much of the humor of the manga and also the anime is just like these very wild, expressive faces. Um, these really expressive gestures that like you could do in live action, but would probably be a lot higher budget than this is to like really get these like intense, you know, various shots where you can like get the body moving around in in unexpected fun ways. Um, and so a lot of the, the like humor moments just don't hit as well. And so it, it kind of just focuses more on the like melodrama elements, um, which is still fine. I just like that. The, what's so great about the the manga and the show to me is that it is like doing this nice mix of life where like sometimes something is really funny is happening or you're just like having fun and then something will kind of just like come up in the conversation that might make you super sad. Um, and that like balance of bittersweet stuff is so much of what like works in Nana for me. And I, I feel like it just swings more to direct melodrama. Um, the other thing is they they have to like obviously because it is a live action movie and it's not like a actual, it's not a TV show or like a series of manga. Um, they have to condense down a lot of things and it works for like serving a, a giving, giving you like quickly the overarching plot of Nana, but it kind of, there are these moments where I feel like they're pulling a scene because it is a scene that is going to like make sense for this overarching plot and is going to like, um, it's a good scene to pull for like pushing the plot forward in that way, but because they haven't pulled other scenes or because they want to put those scenes at a different moment to try and like intensify the emotional impact somewhere else, you miss all of the like little interesting moments, which is part of what I also find fun about it, which is that like so much of the manga and the show feels like all of these like little coincidences happening, but you also get the vibe that like it, it is just like sometimes things come up in life that remind you of other things. Um, and those are the things that just get like highlighted in the piece. Uh, but then some of that, like that feeling of like, oh, here's this little tiny thing that's like then sparking these emotions that I have that are these bigger emotions about things um, get kind of lost. And like one that happens early on, that's a um, not a big spoilery thing or anything, but like uh, in the relationship that Osaki Nana has with Ren, like when they started dating, um, it involves this like cake that has strawberries on it. Um, and so strawberries like become this significant thing for her and like her thinking about her relationship with Ren. And so then in the manga and the show, after like Nana has met the other Nana and they're out shopping, um, Komatsu Nana, who she calls Hachi. So I'll just like say Hachi, um, Hachi's like, oh, we should get these these glasses. Aren't they really cute? They have strawberries on them. And then Nana's like trying to play it cool and being like, yeah, whatever. Because she's like mm -hmm. actually having emotions about them. Um, and then Hachi's like, oh, well, if you don't like them, like I won't get them because I want us to get things that like we'll both use. Like, you know, I want to be using things that you like and that I like. Like, I want to find the things that we both like. And then she's like, no, I love strawberries. And she's like forced to like admit that. Um, and that scene plays out, but you don't get any of the context of like why she has these emotions around strawberries. And so like the actual emotional impact doesn't land there. Um, 
But I feel like as the like movie builds, it's able to get more of that stuff towards the end, that like some of the emotional stuff at the end lands. Um, so yeah, that's my like take of the 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 live action, I guess. Um, it's a good if you want like what is Nana very brief, maybe mm. seek it out. It's kind of hard to find, but um, it'll like give you a general reference point where you, when people are going Nana brain like me, you'll know what they're talking about, even though you won't like fully get what's special about it. Um, and I gave it an A plus because again, they're on the seventh floor of the apartment building. So they have to climb up all of these stairs and you get multiple scenes of going up the stairs including the first time that um, Hachi goes to see the apartment and realizes that Nana, who she met on the train, is there, and they decide to become roommates. And then at the end of the movie, she's going up the stairs being like, oh, like, I'm not sure I'm ready to love again. I don't know, like, um, I don't know if I'll ever find a place where I feel like I belong. And then she, like, goes up to the apartment thinking these thoughts while walking sadly up the stairs and then there's like nana waiting for her there and it's like oh here's actually like the the home that i have um Mm -hmm. so it feels thematic the stairs are pretty good for what's just like an apartment complex stair like they 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 focus on it enough so a plus if it was a really nice staircase it would be an s but yeah um anyway Uh... You've read one chapter of Nana. I have read one chapter and seen one episode <laughs> of Nana. I am enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, I do not have Nana brain poison the way that you do. I am just like riding the train of your hyperfixation. So. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, oh, it seems like Nia likes that. I guess I'll, I guess I'll watch that. <laughs> or I guess I'll read the manga. Yeah. Wait, we watched the first episode because it was like... I don't remember. We were like hanging out. We'd finished the movie and we're like, ah, let's just put on an episode of anime or something. Right. Yeah. I think that was Um, it. It was just like we had watched a movie and it, there was not enough time to like watch another movie, but also it was like, Hey, we still have some time left that we can just hang out a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, Um, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. I, I just see myself in in the girl that you keep calling Hachi. I'm like, oh, that's me. Uh, that's about the that's about the extent of of my um, like, you know, that that's about the extent of my Nana thoughts so far. Yeah. Um. I mean, I also read it and then I look at Osaki Nana and I'm like, oh, that's me. So. <laughs> um. God, that first volume. Again, I'm just going to implore people, just like read the first volume of Nana, just those first two chapters. Um, It feels a little bit incomplete, but like they're still just like good standalone things. Um, Hmm. And then uh, you will probably be hooked, but at least give it it a shot with the first volume. It is deeply refreshing to read a manga slash watch an anime that is just like sex exists. It's not a big mm-hmm. deal. People yeah. have sex sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It is just <laughs> very refreshing. Um, I um I've been watching some like um anime YouTubers this week. Um yeah. just because they're in my algorithm. Every anime YouTuber um has like intense uh shonen is the only stuff I watch brain. Um yeah. 
I don't even know what Sinan is. <coughs> like, that's how bad a lot of these guys are. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then I also follow um, Out of Context Yuri on Twitter. Um, and so, like, the, both of these, like, shown in a world where sex does not exist, and then, like, you know, GL and, and Yuri manga where, like, sex exists but is a thing to be, like, danced around and, 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 and oh, we're, we're so nervous about sex and, oh, what, you know, all this stuff. Just very refreshing to watch Nana and just people have sex. It's chill. Yeah. <laughs> We're adults. Yeah. yeah. And well, it just feels so much more real to me too, where like the tension isn't like, oh, I like this person, but I'm going to like, this is my first kiss or whatever. Like that was maybe something that was relatable when I was in high school. But now it's just like, oh yeah, here's like, they hang out, they kiss all the time, they have sex. The bigger issue is like, oh man, like I'm just working all the time and I'm not seeing them and now I'm like missing them and I'm wondering like, you know, what's going on with their life? I feel so distant from them. How do I, how do I like do that? But then also I'm enjoying this hanging out with my roommate who I'm definitely not gay for. And like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just like so much more of just like the actual messiness of relationships rather than like, oh, it's just like, you know, first love, blush, blush, or just like no romance at all because it's shonen. <laughs> right. Um, oh, my other, my other like slight complaint. It, it's a, it does decent, but like there's just not as, I feel like there needs to be more outfits. Um, I think also sometimes the outfits don't land quite as well because, um, the, the manga and then obviously the show adapting it is like, Yuzawa Ai is pulling from actual fashion magazines. Like, Komatsu Nana is a lot of, like, vintage fashion stuff mixed with, like, some of the more modern stuff happening in Japan. Um, And then Osaki Nana is pulling from a lot of punk fashion. And so, you know, like, Sex Pistols and, Mm. you know, a lot of other, like, big, like, here's huge, like, iconic punk looks. Um, and is like pulling from those and like taking pieces from them and like working them into the, the wardrobe. And so then in the, the movie, they have to like recreate it, but they're just recreating it with like a, a lower end costuming budget. And so it doesn't land in the way that like, like it doesn't look like a super great, like really high quality, very lived in. She's had it forever leather jacket is just kind of like oh yeah that's like a leather jacket you can maybe find like you know at like forever 21 or something (laughs) to you know put it in u.s context but um and so yeah some of the outfits just like don't land as well as they do um and then also there's just not enough of them like shoji sucks but like he only has one outfit in the entire um movie um, they give Hachi more outfits, which makes sense. Like you can't do that Nana justice without like having her in a bunch of outfits because that's part of the whole thing. Um, but then like Sachiko has her waitress outfit and then her like one other outfit basically. Uh, or I guess she has, she has the like 
one where they're going to the train station and she loses her shoe. That's slightly different. But like, there are just like multiple scenes that are supposed to be across different days where she's wearing the same outfit with like a cowboy hat and everything. And I'm like, that girl does not wear that outfit like five days within right. a month. Like, <laughs> um, you've got to um, change her up. I, I thought of something I wanted to say, but it's just going to pivot us away from Nana. So if you have anything else you want to say, go for it. I just love Nana a lot. Pivots away, uh, okay. I guess. <laughs> Stop me. Stop me from talking more about Nana. This will be the entire podcast. <laughs> so I'm, like, roasting you for this. But also, I realized that, like... So, for a little while, I was sort of bouncing around between a couple different things. I was watching a bunch of Sailor Moon, and I was watching a little Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. Um, I read, like, one chapter of Detective Conan. I, like, uh, reread a little Witch Hat Atelier so I could, like, catch up on it. I was bouncing around between a lot of different things. Uh, And then um, a, a, a very big man with an even bigger sword came into my life. And I have just been intense berserk brain for the last four days. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like more relaxed about it, but it has literally been the only thing I've thought about for the last two days. As I was just like, I hit the like halfway point yesterday and I was like, I guess I'm finishing this in the next 24 hours. Um, To be, to be clear, I, um, to the listeners who might not know, I've been watching the berserk 1997 anime, um, uh, and uh, I finished the anime, uh, and I kind of told myself, I was like, I'll finish the anime, and then I'll go to back to like bouncing around between things, and then I'll read the manga at some point in the near future. And then I saw the ending of that anime, and I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to read the entire manga next week, because that is the <laughs> only choice I have. <laughs> um, if anyone's listening to this conversation and being like, man, I wish there was just multiple hours long podcasts that were talking about Nana and then Berserker, or not Berserker, Berserk. I, I was thinking again mm. of the stupid video. <laughs> um, I guess we can we can announce the, the plans after we do Iron Blooded Orphans on Ghost Divers is uh, Connor gets to pick something still don't know what he's picking and then i'm doing nana and then you're going to join us and bring berserk that yeah. will be for like over a year but um. yeah so at some point we're I, I there will actually be an outlet for this but that's a long ways away and i just want to talk a little bit about berserk now i guess because yeah. i just finished it like right before we hit record <laughs> yeah i just ranted about <laughs> nana so you get to rant a little bit about berserk uh that show's fucking good um if people because I know when um, Miura died, um, a lot of people were thinking about getting into Berserk. And if people still are not, like, have not, like, taken that plunge because um, the manga is 40 volumes and um, it's really fucking dark and there is a lot of violence and there is a lot of uh, sexual assault. Um, like, uh, I think... I think the show is a good introduction to Berserk because um, tonally, I think it is more or less in line with the manga. Um, It is just as dark and violent and filled with sexual assault. A lot of sexual assault 
in in Berserk 97, to be clear. As much as one can put on network television, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah. Um, but um, I th- I if if those are things that you think you can stomach, um, and I think like episode twenty five like hit the limit of what I could stomach. Uh, but if you think those are things you can stomach, like I think it is a really rewarding journey, and it is twenty five episodes, so you can like. I knocked it out in a week, and I think, uh, you know, that's, like, a pretty, you know, a week or two. People could just watch it, and, like, I am hooked now. I want to know what's going to go. I want to know what's going to happen next. I'm going to read the manga up to this point, because I know that the show, like, cuts a lot and changes a lot. Um, So I'll have to do a little backtracking, but, like, I'm fine with that, because I just am excited now. Um, And... Um, there was stuff I wanted to say, but I can't think of it. Um, there was, like, stuff I was wanting to tell you specifically about, like, the ending. Because I know you don't care about spoilers, but I can't even think of, like, what specifically it was. You know? Yeah. Um. Oh, I just, I, I just think that, like... I I think that you will get a lot out of um, the the sort of like love triangle from this part of Berserk uh, because it's fucking messy, <laughs> and I just think you're going to really enjoy the sort of like bizarre mix of like like repressed homosexual desire slash like jealousy slash like yearning for uh, a, a um, heteronormative lifestyle slash yearning for your own like weird mix of heteronormativity and um, and being a fucking gay motherfucker um, and and the places that that leads one of these characters is is bad news it's really <laughs> fucking bad news and it was like unpleasant to, to watch it unfold a little bit but like yeah I just I think that is a dynamic that uh, you're going to get a lot out of when we get there. So yeah, sounds great. Um, Look forward to the bad news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was funny while you were talking. I just glanced over to like while I was going to close the best selling manga thing. Um, mm-hmm. I noticed that I had sitting right next to it Berserk and Nana both at approximately fifty million copies sold. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, Berserk, on hold, Nana, on hiatus. <laughs> yeah. the um, Berserk's in a weird spot where, like, the publisher is like, we might continue it, but we don't know. He didn't, like, tell us what to do. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, I, I'm uh, looking forward to I'm. I'm like debating. So I was planning on reading the manga. Um, and now I'm debating, should I watch the show first and then read the manga and then we'll do it on ghost divers or should I just read the manga when I want to read the manga um, and watch the show should, when we get to it? I think you should just sort of like follow your gut on this. I, for me, I'm glad that I watched the show first because I did really enjoy the show. And I know myself, 
And I know that I might watch the... If I had read the manga first, I might watch the show and just see how it falls short as an adaptation and be like, oh, I can't believe they cut blah, blah, blah. Oh, I can't believe that, you know, they just glossed over this. Um, Like, I feel like that's how I would be. But like, you know, I I think the show still has its own merits. Um, And I'm glad that I'm glad that I watched the show first. But I think if you want to read it first, I don't think it's going to like, I don't think it's going to just like totally kill the show for you. So, yeah. Um, it might kill the ending of the show. The ending of the yeah. show is something. <laughs> um, that reminded me, I wanted to say, if people are debating between do I do the manga or do I do the show for Nana, uh, the show is very faithful adaptation of the manga in a way where um, I think I prefer the manga a little bit more. Um, I just kind of like enjoy it in that format. The, the way that she lays out pages are, are just really nice. Um, and I kind of like that aspect. Um, but also I think that the, the translation for the, like the new Sentai release of the show is better than the, the translation in the manga, which is like not bad, but, um, like, I feel like the show is like the, the new translation of the show is more willing to just like play at the, the gayness that's happening in it. Um, and like bring that to the forefront. And I think can also sometimes because they're not dealing with the constraint of like word balloons can, can do slightly more accurate, longer translations of lines sometimes. But um, yeah. So like both of them have their merits and they're also very similar. So um, the comedy, you know I think I just, the show is a little bit funnier to me than the manga. The comedy lands. You know what a little I just realized more. 30 minutes into this podcast. Sorry for interrupting you. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's fine. You have we to never do this explained, when I'm talking about Nana. <laughs> we never explained why uh, this is not a blow-up episode. Yeah. Also, did we ever... Did you, like, actually intro the podcast and say... Yes. Did, did I say that I'm Neve? I don't remember doing that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Neve. <laughs> in case I didn't say that. <laughs> um, this is not a blow-up episode because uh, we were planning to watch the movie on Thursday, right? Mm. or wednesday i think it was wednesday Wednesday. we were gonna watch it on wednesday and then record on friday and i came down with a real nasty cold Um, yeah and it just kind of derailed our plans so yeah here we are on sunday night just bullshitting into a microphone Mm -hmm. yeah we're talking about all the movies that we watch so that we don't have to do that next time with even more movies that i'm sure i'm gonna watch yeah. Um, um. Anyway, let's press on through the movies we watched because yeah, uh, I am still recovering from a cold, and I have podcasted for four hours today already, and I'm drinking tea, but I can feel my throat starting to get upset with me. <laughs> yeah. Um. We can probably pretty quickly go through Pig and Tetsuo the Iron Man. Uh, we watched. Yeah. We watched both of these on was it Sunday or something? Yeah, it's probably. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, you came over and like you, me, and Emily all watched Pig because Emily's been wanting to see it. Um, mm. <clears throat> and then uh, she decided to go to bed, but not right away. And so we were watching Tetsuo the Iron Man, and she was trying not to watch it. <laughs> it's a very um, difficult movie to not watch. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, for me, my favorite was just the part for Emily derogatory. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember the part where uh, Tatsuo the Iron Man, or maybe Tatsuo the Iron Man's the the other guy. Whatever the the one guy's dick was turning into a drill, and Emily was like, "Is she cutting off his dick with a saw?" And you said, "Well, no, his dick's becoming the saw." <laughs> The um, other thing I remember saying during that movie is, why are we like this? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, but let's talk about Pig first, maybe. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Pig. Um, so right after we finished watching Pig, I was like, I think I liked that. And I gave it like four stars on Letterboxd, I think. I think I need to bump that down to like a three. I liked that movie, but... um. I didn't love that movie. Yeah. Uh, how did you How did you feel about Pig overall? I have like specific thoughts, but I just wanted to take your temperature on it. I guess. Um. I. It It was like it was weird in ways where it's not weird in the way that like Tatsuo the Iron Man is weird. Mm-hmm. Um. In a way that's just like this is like fully V cinema sicko stuff. It was just like. So the way that it is, like, sold, when I saw, like, we we saw this, after, like, the first time that we saw this mentioned was when we went to the music box and we saw the um, one that we talked about. I carry you with you, me. Yeah, I carry you with me. Um, and, it like, that was basically selling it as, like, this is John Wick, but it's a pig instead of a dog. Um, mm-hmm. Like, his dog gets stolen and then he, like, goes on a... His pig. Yeah, he goes to get his pig, and it's implying that a lot of action is going to happen. Um, I think because they also like show the most actiony scene, which is when his pig gets stolen, um, mm. and then are just like using lines where he's like saying things that seem like a threatening thing, where he would then um, shoot someone or whatever. Um, but instead of shooting someone, he like makes them food, and it's like mm. a foodie movie too. It's like you yeah. like combined John Wick, but instead of all the action scenes, you put in like watching a cooking show where some like guy is just going on about like his philosophy of cooking and how like modern gastronomy actually misses the point or whatever. Um, I okay. Can I give you like my my mildly galaxy brain read on this movie. I think a lot of this is like just the surface level of the movie mm-hmm. and there's like a little bit of the subtext too. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the like subtextual level is that like I do think despite not being an action movie, I think this movie is is commenting on um, John Wick and movies like it. Um, yeah. Which is like a pretty common genre in like movies and video games right now it is just like a thing in the pop culture uh i think it is like commenting on the sort of like sad wife guy genre which is like a close relative to the sad dad genre you know yeah um because because nicholas cage's character is a sad wife guy and then also the main antagonist is a sad wife guy right so like Nicholas Cage's character, um, his wife dies. Nicholas Cage's character, like, 15 years ago, was this, like, celebrated chef. Everybody in Portland, like, loved his cooking, and, like, um, he was just the 
the bee's goddamn knees, and if you even if you even say Robin Feld in Portland, people are like gasp. They're like, oh my god, yeah. Robin Feld. Um, and um, his wife passed away, and he got out of the cooking business, and he's gone and lived in the woods. It's just him and his pig, and this one restaurant supply guy who like sees him once a week, brings him some stuff, and Nicolas Cage gives him truffles, and they go their separate ways, and they're not friends, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then the the main antagonist is the restaurant supply guy's dad, who runs a restaurant supply empire, and he lives in his huge fucking McMansion, um, and like, you know, is it like hires people to do dirty, like, you know, scummy things like stealing pigs, and he's like implied to be like a mafia don. Basically, because yeah. he, he works in the very cutthroat restaurant supply business, um, which I think is like a patently absurd thing. And I don't know how much the movie is in on that joke. Yeah. Um, but like the thing that's happening there is that like um, his wife died or, or, or his wife uh, attempted suicide and is now like... Um, been comatose for several years but um for plot purposes she's dead there's like no actual difference between her being dead or or the reveal that actually she's alive yeah and his son who's nicholas cage's friend not friend like sometimes goes and sees his mom who's just comatose and is like i just wish that dad would like let you die yeah um but, like, that is the only yeah. mention that she is actually alive, and it does not impact, like, anything else that's happening in the movie in any way, you know? Yeah. Um, and, like, the the point that the movie is trying to make is that, like, Nicolas Cage, his wife died, and he went and lived alone in the woods and cut all his connections to other people, and... This other guy's wife died, and he went and lived in a big mansion and made millions and millions of dollars. Um, but he, like, also cut his connections to other people. And, like, these are the same lifestyle, you know, that, like, that, like, you know, loneliness is the same whether you're in a, whether you're in a palace or living in the woods. Um, and, like, Nicolas Cage ultimately is able to, like, um, win quote-unquote because like he draws on his connections to people he knew in the past he's able to like investigate like who stole my pig because he like follows up on these connections and he like meets with this guy who's like oh my gosh chef feld it's such an honor to meet you and and feld is like you worked for me for two months i you know it was from like march to may of 1992 and I fired you because you overcooked the pasta. And in your exit interview, you told me you wanted to open a pub. You know, he, like, has these connections yeah. to other people. Yeah, uh, and that's how he's ultimately that able to... Yeah. <clears throat> why haven't you opened that pub? And he specifically is like, don't you see that, like, your your fancy, like, gastronomy, like, place that where people pay $150 to eat one shallot... Uh, or scallop <laughs> um don't you see that this is all fake and that like you know o- opening the pub would be real but um 
you know, Nicolas Cage can't see that, like, he has also cut himself off from the thing that is real, which is, like, connecting to other people. I think this movie is, like, commenting on how, like, all these sad dad movies are, like, ultimately, like, pretty empty because they're, like, just about, like, killing people to replace your dead wife and that is not actually, like, a good way to replace your dead wife. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But, like, I have all this, like, quote-unquote, like, thematic read on the movie and i i think that's all well and good but it doesn't actually make me in enjoy the 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 movie yeah (laughs) which is fundamentally my problem is that like it's a 90 minute movie that feels like a three-hour movie uh that makes a point that i thought got across in the first 20 minutes (laughs) yeah i feel like the the one part that um, happened later on that I enjoyed and, and felt a little bit more like important to me is that it, it ends with like, he doesn't get the pig back because, um, th- we're just like fully spoiling this movie, but it turns out that like the, the junkies basically, I think that's what they call them in the movie. Um, mm. were too rough with the pig. And so then she died. Um, they weren't able to like save her. Um, and I, I think that like little detail of just like, no, like he goes through all of this. He like is able to show this tycoon, like what he's missing by cooking this meal that was really important to him and his wife, um, blah, blah, blah. Like he pulls on all these connections, but then like, it still doesn't get the pig back. Um, but again, it's just like, it, it did just feel too long. Like I might bump it down to like a three and a half on, on letterboxd, um, and once again, it's a 90-minute movie. <laughs> yeah. And it just felt a little too long. I I agree that the pig the pig was was never actually alive. He was never gonna get the pig back. And and him saying, like, uh, oh, if I had never like tried to come get the pig, she'd still be alive in my mind, but that wouldn't be real. I think that's like a sort of interesting reflection. Well, yeah. Know? Well, and him him saying that and then the like actual the the person who he's had the most contact with and it's kind of just been an asshole too who is like now his legitimate friend because of all of this is like mm-hmm. but she'd still be dead like <laughs> it doesn't matter yeah. what your your like thought in your head is she'd still be dead um mm-hmm. yeah and like you have to like kind of get out of your head about like the relationship that you have with your dead wife and just be like no, it doesn't matter, like, what my relationship is. Like, she just doesn't exist as a person anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I've, I kind of, I watched it, and I was like, I just, I feel like this could have been shorter, is really the thing. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it sometimes, like, I laughed when it was revealed that the city was Portland, because sometimes it just felt, like, a little too hipster about things to me. Yeah. In a way that, like, two-day celebrating the the equinox um like emily and i and our toddler went to an ice cream shop in like the most hipstery part of well now it's like even moving out of hipstery into just honestly even more what portland seems to me which is like kind of like richer stuff too Mm -hmm. like especially the vibe in this movie where they're going around to like all these fancy restaurants um and it, like just had people staring at me because I'm a trans person, and I was just like, yeah, like I get somewhat of the same vibe from this movie. 
Um, yeah. It's the like older, richer hipster vibe. Um, and sometimes I can handle it. And sometimes I'm like, no, it is like, so up it's ass about like, Oh, the fancy restaurants. It's the mm-hmm. real hole in the wall places. That's where the real heart is. But in the like most like weird condescending or like pat- patronizing way. I don't know. This is yeah. this is a this is me getting further into a bone to pick that I have as someone who does kind of just like hole in the wall places, but not in this like like Emily likes fancy restaurants and I go to fancy restaurants too and I don't know, it's all food. Like Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like there's like a there's a like <clears throat> reaction to like modern fancy restaurant that's like super up its ass about the hole in the wall place. Um mm-hmm. that I felt also in this. Yeah, like, whoever I, I, wrote this really liked. Um, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Um, the like no reservations guy, Anthony. Oh, Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain. This movie had like big Anthony Bourdain vibes in terms of like I kind of like Anthony Bourdain stuff, and yet also I sometimes felt like he was super up in his ass about how he was like the real one, you know? Right. Um. Um. The other thing that I guess, like, the things that worked for me in this movie are, like, the ways that is thinking about the nature of, like, loneliness. And, and specifically, specifically like, men being lonely and men, like, making a big deal out of, oh, I'm so lonely. Oh, woe is me. My, yeah. my wife is dead. You know, and you know, not that that's not a tragic thing that, like, happens to people. That's very sad and like people are allowed to feel upset and lonely about it but like um i guess like this movie sort of like taking aim a little bit at the way that male loneliness is portrayed in media uh maybe um that works for me the thing that like does not always work for me that i think this movie goes equally hard on is like what is quote-unquote real and what is not i.e like you know Nicholas Cage, this is long monologue about how, you know, someday the tides are going to roll up and just drown all of Portland and then your fancy restaurants will be gone. And what will you have? You'll have a bunch of money that means nothing, you know, yeah. um, like the it, it just felt a bit hollow, I guess, of like couching it in terms of like these things are reality and reality is not like um money just felt like out of its depth or 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 shallow or i don't know it just yeah none of it like rung true to me it 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 always felt like it always felt like nicholas cage was gonna keep saying all that stuff and then someone else was gonna come tell him like okay but no, actually, those things are fulfilling to me. And, like, stop being such an asshole all the time. <laughs> yeah. And that never happens. Nicolas Cage is just right about that part through the whole movie. Um, Other, other than, like, y- you know, he's holding on to the one delusion that, like, the the pig might still be alive or that his wife might still be alive or whatever. Like, he has his own delusions that he holds on to. But uh, he's never wrong for just kind of, like, giving these like monk sage monologues and like derailing people's whole lives. <laughs> yeah. 
Um. Anyway, we gave this a B when we watched it. I don't know why we rated the stairs B. I don't remember the stairs. The stairs, um, specifically, there was one, um, there was one in the McMansion that looked really nice, and there was another stairwell leading up to the McMansion that looked really nice, uh, and so I think we gave it a B because there were some really nice looking stairs. There was a really nice, like, spiral staircase shot, uh, at one point, but none of it felt thematic. They were just, oh, those are some nice looking stairs. Yeah, and they could have made it thematic because there's the part where the the son goes to the dad and is like, we made you dinner. And I don't think they show him walking up the stairs to do that. And if they did, that would, you know, raise the score here. Right. Um, do we want to talk about Tatsuo the Iron Man, a movie about being trans? Complimentary. <laughs> <laughs> Tatsuo the Iron Man is the greatest fucking movie ever made. <laughs> um... Honestly, incredible. Um, it's uh, it's such a like just to like start things off. It's just such as like incredible. The best parts. So there are moment. I feel like the like parts that are the most like obvious that have the most like other things are doing this in this way is um, there's some, like, practical effects that are, like, horror shot. Like, the worst one at the very beginning is the guy cutting up his lick and putting a bullet in there. Um, Oh, it's so bad. Yeah. That was the Um, one moment where the movie was too gross for me. Everything else I could handle, but that was, ugh. And And it's right at the start. It's, like, the first thing that happens. Yeah. And then towards the very, uh, like, as it goes on, there's more and more, like, toku stuff. Like, there are, like, suits that people are wearing. Um, Right. And they're just toku togu suits um the part that's like really special about this is the like weird um what <laughs> tokusa <laughs> toku suits yeah that toku suits. the show <laughs> stupid um <laughs> but there's Fuck. like these like wild um like kind of stop motion animation or i'm trying to remember the name of the technique where you you like do it with um human bodies but um there's a lot of stuff that like happens with that that is like some of the most exciting stuff. Um, yeah, just... that's like just that's the fucking cinema. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's just like what are all the weird images we can make? Let's make them. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. I love that shit. <laughs> it is pixelation, which is the I thought that was what it was, but I wanted to double check. Um, yeah, pixelation is the the term for stop motion animation using humans, um, which is the thing that like happens in other stuff. But just combining it and like doing it in these like in the weird ways that it shows up in this makes it really exciting. Because I feel like often pixelation stuff is like, oh, it's just like a short, and this is it's just like mingled in with everything else um, as just mm-hmm. like another way to do special effects, right? Um. Yeah, I I just fucking love this movie. <laughs> yeah, um, it is it is exhausting. Um, yeah, but it's it, so good. It fucking goes for like an hour and got like, you know, Pig is a a ninety minute movie that feels like it's three hours. Uh, derogatory. Uh, <laughs> Tetsuo the Iron Man is a one hour movie that feels like it's three hours. Complimentary. 
yeah. <laughs> we got to like the 30 minute mark and I was like, okay, it's wrapping up. Oh my God, we're at the halfway mark and I'm exhausted. <laughs> um, yeah, do we want to do like a brief summary of the movie? Um, uh... <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Because we we have to explain how this is trans-complementary, too. Yeah. Uh, I, so it might behoove us to explain the plot. Um, I'm not sure who Tetsuo is in all this, but yeah. it's well, neither here nor there. So it's also, like, it's a thing where the name Tetsuo basically means Iron Man. Um, and so it's like a joke on, like, how it means Iron Man, but it's also just a name that people have. Um, mm. but then it is, it is unclear if the like salary man or if the metal fetishist as a lot of stuff will refer to him as are Tatsuo. That's like never explained. These characters don't have yeah. names. Um, um, and I'm going to explain the plot to you. Like, I'm going to explain the plot at like in the like sort of quote unquote in universe order, not in the like order that it is presented because the movie is yeah. presented in a pretty like nonlinear fashion. Yeah, the first Basically, half hour is just like there's just weird abstract stuff happening with human bodies turning into weird machines, and then there's a part halfway through where they explain to you why this is happening. And you're like, oh, I don't even know they were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I say this um, having seen this before, but seeing your reaction to that and being like, yeah, that was my reaction the first time I saw this. <laughs> um, the 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 um, there is a couple that like does a hit and run on this guy and they decide to go hide the body and then yeah. they're like really turned on by like oh we we, we hid this body and wasn't that so fucked up and yeah. they start like fucking in front of the dead body that they've hidden uh yeah. little do they know that guy is still alive and he's out for revenge and he's going to get his revenge by turning them into weird metal people and then they are all going to assemble them he's going to assemble all three of them into a higher life form and take over tokyo uh and turn all the people of tokyo into metal um and that is what happens in tetsuo of the iron man <laughs> yeah um and and key i think the the scene where he cuts his leg open and puts the bolt in and is the uh-huh. that happens before he gets hit by the car. Yes. He's like already in the process of, of turning into an Iron Man. Um Yes. And so that is like why he survives the car crash. Um The other thing is uh this is like the really gay version of Crash, the um Cronenberg <laughs> movie. Uh whereas the the Cronenberg one is far straighter. <laughs> and so like the reason that this is trans complimentary is that it is just like about living in a body that is just like strange and acts in ways that you do not expect and do not want um, and is constantly changing. And sometimes the changes happen. And you're like, oh, this is actually good. And sometimes the changes happen. And you're like, ah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then and, and then sometimes living in the, a body is a violent act. Like yeah. having to have a body is violence. <laughs> um, it's also about being trans because um, one, there's just like weird. There's just like weird trans imagery in it too, where there's like mm-hmm. the sequence where um, the the girlfriend of the couple who did the hit and run uh, just grows like a giant metal hose penis and then fucks the guy with it. 
Um, uh-huh. And then, like, later on, assimilates with the the guy that they hit into this weird androgynous being who then, like, wants to fuse with the, the salary man guy of the couple. Um, mm. And so that's and just, it- like, weird and, like, uh, you know, it, at that point, it is just, like, a character who is both the male and female character wanting to like assimilate with the other male character and you're like okay <laughs> shit's uh-huh. happening <laughs> what what is more trans than don't you want to become one with me shinji it's something that yeah. feels really good <laughs> <laughs> um great fucking movie i highly recommend it um <laughs> what is more trans than now that we've all like figured out our own weird body stuff we're going to go t- conquer the world <laughs> Yeah, and make everyone else weirdos like us. <laughs> um, yeah, great fucking movie. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember it what's rules. that one really bad movie about the trans woman. Um, there are so many. The Danish girl. The Danish girl. I was gonna say okay, if, you're, just... if you're if you're cis and you want to know what it's like to be trans, don't watch. <laughs> the Danish world girl watched that's of the Iron Man. <laughs> um, do we want to write the stairs? We we also totally skipped the part where um, this is where it's just like truly no plot, like beginning part where you're just like shit's just happening on the screen. Um, where the salary man is like going to work and then there's a weird like metal um, heart or something which contains like the guy that they hit or something. And she goes to like poke it with a, a pencil and then it like fuses with her hand. And then she's like this weird zombie monster chasing after him. Um, I think that's where the stairs happen. Cause there's lots of like running up and down stairs in a subway system. Um, sorry, sorry. Well, I, sorry. I, <laughs> Looked at Letterbox and got distracted by something that I thought was stupid, and I'm sorry. <laughs> we were raiding the stairs on that show. Yes. Uh, as far as I remember, those subway stairs are the only ones. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, I feel like those are a C, because they look mm. nice, and I guess they're important, but like... Uh, eh. Maybe do a Maybe C+. Maybe even plus, a C-. Minus. I was no, gonna go C plus because I feel like we get a few of the like pixelation shots on them, which is fun. Oh, you're right. You're right. We'll give it a C plus because those are good ones. I was saying when we watch it that, um, like we talk about in American movies, the like suburban home stairs as just like these like generic like. Yep, you have a movie that's set in the Midwest and like the suburbs. There's gonna just gonna be some stairs in the house. Um, and I feel like to some degree in a lot of Japanese movies, the equivalent is if you just like have people taking public transit, you're going to get some subway stairs. Like <laughs> they're just there. Right. Um, they're, they're a little bit better and nicer than like suburban home stairs, just like by default grade. But it's just the, like the basic mo- movie stairs for a lot of Japanese movies. It's just some subway stairs. Um. <clears throat> I guess I have to talk uh, about Grass Labyrinth now. Should I? Should I, I I'll tell you what I saw at Letterboxd that I found in the Okay. Uh, which is just um, 
I because you mentioned the Danish girl, I typed in trans into letterbox and was just seeing if I could find a list of like movies that had like trans people in them or whatever. Yeah. This uh, sounds bad already. I, <laughs> one of the movies movies mentioned is um did you see that stop motion short about uh Minizilla coming out as trans to Godzilla? Did you see this? No. It's like a two minute short about Minizilla coming out to Godzilla's trans. Uh, this person made it, and then Toho like officially sponsored it, and they sent it to a couple festivals. And it was like a went went minorly viral, um, and I I just looked at it and had like five stars on average from Letterbox. I'm like, it's just not that good. It's just very, it's a very pat stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to just like go rate it one star, not because I actually think it's that bad, but because I think that it's a little pat and, and trite and I, I found it a little insufferable. I was like, I got to bring this down. Yeah. I don't know why I decided that I needed to pick on a two minute short film, but I did. <laughs> Um, I'll also watch this later. I'm not watching this right now. Um, I just, I just think it's a bad short film, but like, yeah. it's fine. Whatever. Who cares? I'm moving on with my life now. <laughs> so, uh, I watched Grass Labyrinth by Teriyama Shuji, which is a short film. It's like 40 minutes, I think. Um, and it, it's weird because, um, I feel like it's a little bit more abstract or like harder to fully piece stuff together. Uh, it, it's more like nonlinear, I think, or I'm trying to think of like the best way to explain this. Cause a lot of his work is like nonlinear. Um, Ter- context. Teriyama is the director of, um, pastoral that die in the country and, uh, throw away your books and rally in the streets. Two other movies you've talked yeah. about in the past that people yes. probably remember. Um, and probably one of those two we will we will do on the podcast at some point before we go to like full Lynch. Um but I really like like I love his films and seeing this is like, oh, I can just like fully see what his style is, um, what some of his like preoccupations are um as a director. Um and this is coming out like after those longer films. Um and it's a it's a movie that I I think would be harder for me to pa- uh, parse if I hadn't seen like Pastoral, like I think Pastoral does a a better job of like explicating some of its themes in a way where there's still a lot of like kind of messiness to like mull over and and tug at, um, but this is like just really giving you this like shotgun here are like these thematic images here's the stuff happening without as much like room to explicate on them and like give you context for them and and like um help you think a little bit more about them um and so it kind of struck me as like wow i felt like i just watched a like full length film even though this was only 40 minutes because it was so much of what would normally be in one of his full length films it's just you're almost just like getting in a bridge version of it or something where you're like not getting as much commentary around what's happening, which I think sometimes happens in some of his earlier films. Um, and also it's a thing where having seen his earlier films, I'm like more ready to think about like, Oh, here's these parts where he's talking about like mothers and motherhood and, and stuff. Um, I guess to, to like summarize the, the plot of the film, um, the main character is this, uh, I you know, boy moving into like young adulthood, who's starting to become interested in 
um, sex and then is also like convinced that his mother is not his actual mother. Um, and that he has this memory of this lullaby that his mother sang him, but that his like, his mother now does not know. And so he's like, I must've had a mother before. And so he's like going around talking to like, um, you know, sex workers being like, can you like sing any of the lullabies, you know? Um, and like, you know, find someone who even knows the, the melody, but not the words. And is like singing different words because she doesn't know the, the actual words to the song and things. Um, and so like, this is like part of it. And then there's all this stuff around like, um, pregnancy and other stuff that's being pulled in. And then there's like these weird moments that feel, um, like strange and out of time where like, he's possibly going back to the moment when he was conceived and, and all of this stuff. Um, in a way that again is like, is handled so concisely that it, there's just so much going into this movie, um, that, I kind of want to watch it again and like think through it a little bit more. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, just a like really stunning and incredible film. Um, It is a lot harder to find than, you know, that rare film M.com that I talked about last time um, Mm -hmm. has pastoral and throw away your books does not have this. Uh, It took me a lot more effort to, to track down grass labyrinth. Um, there is like a really poor version that you can watch on YouTube. The, the quality is like very low. Um, but you are able to find it that way, but I found like a better version to watch. Um, but, um, yeah. And part of it is like, I want to just try and watch more movies from him. And I went with, uh, grass labyrinth first because, um, at this point, Connor and I have recorded all of our second gig episodes. Um, but, they will obviously like are yet to come in the, the feed when people are listening to this in the ghost divers feed. Um, but there's an episode that is named grass labyrinth in the, the Japanese title, um, and does have a direct homage to this movie, which is, um, a ball falling down some stairs, like bouncing downstairs. Um, Oh yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was the main stairs here. I, I gave it, like, an A- because it's kind of at an impactful moment. Um, and this... So, like, bouncing balls become a, a recurring image as well. It's part of the lullaby that he's trying to remember. It's, like, one of the lines is talking about uh, playing handball. And then, like, balls not in, like, a, ever, I don't think, a testicle sense, but, like, other kinds of balls show up frequently throughout the movie. So um, it's also, like, tied into other thematic things. I just wanted to clarify as I kept saying balls that it's not <laughs> testicles because <laughs> he does have the kind of work where it could be. <laughs> uh huh. Um, it does get compared. It gets compared at one point to um, these things that were like pregnancy stones that were believed that like if women touched them, they could get pregnant. Um, so still does get tied to, to sexuality, but in a different way. Uh, but yeah, incredible film. Um, if people are, are still looking to like get into Teriyama, um, I don't know if I would recommend it as one of the first ones, just because it is so dense. Um, and I like pastoral and throw away your books are also just phenomenal films, but, um, I do highly recommend it, especially if someone's watched, like, I think pastoral is like the most closely related to this, uh, dealing with very similar themes around like motherhood and, and childhood and moving into adulthood and things. Um, you want to talk about the French Dispatch? 
Uh, I will be referring to it. I, I okay. I call it the French Dispatch, but uh, I do just want to point out that the full title is the French Dispatch of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun because I just think that's a nice title. I think it just yeah. has a nice ring to it. Um, um I um. What's your feeling on, not, on Wes Anderson overall? Uh, so I'm not huge on Wes Anderson. Uh, I like his movies. Okay. I saw the Royal Tenenbaums when I was like 14 or 15. Uh, fell in love with that movie. Absolutely loved the Royal Tenenbaums. It has been a very long time. And while I'm sure I would still really enjoy it, I just have, like, no memory of, like, what happens or why I enjoyed it or what left an impression on me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I remember that that guy is is a real shitty dad, but I don't actually remember anything. Um, I saw the Grand Budapest Hotel uh, once while recovering from a surgery, and so I remember <coughs> enjoying it, but um, I was recovering from a surgery. Once again, just could not, like, tell you what I enjoyed about it, what happened, uh, how conscious I was for the duration of the film. I was recovering from a surgery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the one that I um, really, like, the the one of his movies that I really know, like, well is Moonrise Kingdom. I really like Moonrise Kingdom. Saw it twice in theaters because it was one of those things where I, I went by myself and then like I think my girlfriend at the time wanted to see it and so I saw it twice in theaters uh, I think I ended up seeing it on Netflix because I mentioned it to another girlfriend later down the line and she was like oh that sounds cute and so I've seen that movie a bunch I think it's really cute I think it's really sweet um, it's not one of my favorite movies it's like a it's a weird thing to have seen as many times as I have but I do really like Moonrise Kingdom um, yeah but I, I don't think I'm, like, a Wes Anderson fan, despite having, like, seen enough of this stuff now to, like, sort of understand, like, oh, this is, like, the thing that he does, you know? Um, yeah. I also I, know that, like, a couple of my friends really hate Moonrise Kingdom, which um, <laughs> I, I guess I see where they're coming from. I don't feel that way, but I guess I see where they're coming from, so. Yeah. Um, I have kind of mixed feelings on him. I, I have some like friends who just really hate anything Wes Anderson think that he's like his twee bullshit is just like despicable and, um, might even describe as like hateful, which I think is going too far. Um, but also there's like a certain degree to which, um, he's the kind of like director where I've seen most of his movies. I was just looking at a list to, to double check, um, his like directed features. Um, I've seen basically everything up until I haven't seen Isle of dogs or the French dispatch. Those are the two that I haven't mm. seen. Um, Isle of dogs is another animated one, right? <clears throat> um, yes. Yeah. It's his second animated feature after, um, Fantastic, Fantastic Mr. Mr. Fox. Fox. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and I, I think it, my favorite are the ones that I've seen and like, you know, the ones that I've become most familiar with too. Like I, it's been a long time since I've gone back to revisit Rushmore or the Royal Tenenbaums. So like maybe I would like those more. Um, but uh, Bottle Rocket, I really liked in high school. And so I've seen that one multiple times. I don't know how much it holds up. Um, and then The Life Aquatic, which is kind of a... Um, Moby Dick, honestly. 
Hmm. Um, but of, that one's of, a... the, of the ones I haven't seen, the Life Aquatic and um, Fantastic Mr. Fox are the two that I would most like to see. Yeah. Um, and I Fantastic like to Mr. Fox Grand is, Budapest. is fun, but um, but yeah, I I kind of like. He's a director who I would describe as um, sometimes I have this relationship of like, oh, what dumb antics is he up to today? But like kind of in a fun way, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. but all of his movies kind of feel like dumb antics to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think his movies are like incredible works of art or like super deep and meaningful to me. I'm just like, no, those are like fun. And like, he has this, this like style that's kind of, um, it was like interesting to see every once in a while, and yet I would I th- would probably hate to sit down and just like watch a bunch of his movies back to back. I think I would just like hate the man if I tried to do that. But every so once in a I while, I watch like, a Wes Anderson movie, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I remember sort of the the press around Grand Budapest Hotel, and it's um that like made an Oscar push, I feel like. I don't remember if how much it won, but I remember it getting nominated um one four out of nine, um, it sounds yeah. like it. So And all of his like, other I remember that, films have only had uh one or two nominations of any. Yeah. I remember a a big Oscar push around that movie. Um and if if I had to guess, I would I would guess that like Wes Anderson probably thinks of that as his opus, you know? Yeah. Um, that is like a serious and like respected movie. Um, and, and on the flip side, I think if, if you described, um, French dispatch as, Oh, Wes Anderson is up to his antics again. I think he would take that as a compliment on the movie. Um, yeah, I think this is, so, so this is an anthology film, um, a, with a framing device of Bill Murray is the son of a person who owns a local newspaper in Liberty, Kansas. Um, and he convinces his, when he was like 20, he convinced his dad, Oh, you should send me to, to Paris. And, um, it's not Paris. It's like a fake French city. You should send me to this fake French city. Um, and, I I'll get a bunch of writers and we'll um like we'll be the the for the foreign correspondents for the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun and so the the it's an anthology film where you get a couple different stories like from that uh that like ran in that paper over the years um and then the the framing device around that framing device is that like Bill Murray's character has passed away and in the final uh final section of the movie they're writing his obituary so um i'm usually kind of cold on anthology movies but um this one worked for me maybe because i didn't know it was an anthology movie going in um maybe because the uh framing device of these are articles uh written for the paper works really well or maybe because the writers they get uh or the the actors playing the writers are Tilda Swinton, um, Francis McDormand and, um, Jeffrey Wright, who are just like three good enough actors, uh, to, to sell that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will simply watch Francis McDormand do literally anything. I think she's great. 
um uh, yeah i i really really liked this movie um i it's short it's sweet um i feel like a lot of um i feel like a lot of anthology movies there's always like Oh, even the ones you like, like you, you, you watch like two of the three segments and you're like, oh, two of those were good. And one of those was a real stinker. I kind of liked all three of these about equally as much. Um, you know, um, it helps that it's just packed to the gills with good actors. Um, I think that's the main thing is it feels like, um, I guess it feels like. It's a, it's a 2021 movie with sort of like 21, 2021 movie like production values and, and actors that I know. Um, but it's just like a movie that I can like take a little more seriously than a lot of other movies that, you know, come out. Uh, and I don't, I don't take this movie that seriously, but I could just like sort of, it had enough like meat on its bones that I was engaged the whole time. Yeah. Um, there's so much of it that I think it like boils down to just sort of like Wes Anderson shrugs and it's like, I was just doing a Godard reference because I like uh, French new wave movies. And I'm like, you know, I don't really like those, but I'm, I'm having a good time. Whatever, dude, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is like more than I can say for, for like most movies I watch, you know? Yeah. Uh, or most new movies I watch. You know, obviously, I think if I was, like, grading this on the curve of, like, stuff that we watch for this podcast, I'd be much lower on it. But as far as, like, I was bored one evening and got on HBO Max and was like, oh, I remember Destiny talked about that on repertory screenings. That sounded really good. I'll put that on. As far as that goes, knocked it out of the park. You know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was, like, fully, like... I, that was the other thing, is that I do not care enough about Wes Anderson, like, really, to go watch one of his movies. It was purely just that Destiny made it sound interesting, and she was right. It was interesting. Um, uh, 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 you... I literally was finishing what I was saying, and then oh, okay. you texted me that you had to go to the restroom. So I'm go. going to the bathroom. I'll vamp. <laughs> I thought you were gone. Oh, a, a challenger approaches. Come on, hop on the podcast. Hey, everybody, it's me, Other Nia. <laughs> I, I'm smaller. <laughs> Nora, what movies did you watch this week? Wizards? How is Wizards, the Ralph Bakshi classic? I didn't finish it, but it's got lots of little critters in it. It's Uh a very pleasant thing to look at. Yeah. Any other movies you watched? Atlas Shrugged. All right, get the fuck out. (laughs) Part one. I would rather rather eat that bag of chips into this microphone than hear about Atlas Atlas Shrugged Shrugged one more time. Part three, who is John Galt? I love you so much. Get out. (laughs) I'm downloading the Ten Commandments and the Lighthouse right now, if you must know. Why the lighthouse? People on this web YouTube show are making a lot of lighthouse jokes. I kind of want to watch that. I kind of want to watch it with you. Okay. But also, you need to watch the Ten Commandments. Yeah, we do. It's just like four hours. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> um. Are we?
we still vamping? Yeah, sure. You watched a little bit of the French Dispatch over my shoulder. Did you enjoy any of it? I saw a couple of frames and was like, yeah, that's him. Wes <laughs> Anderson is here. Oh, right. I had headphones on, so you didn't actually yeah. like hear any of it. I've only seen the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff in this movie. Grand Budapest Hotel does a thing where, like, because it's got the frame story that's in, like, full 16.9 or maybe even CinemaScope. And then it's got the story within that frame story that, like, tightens it up. And then there's the frame story within that that goes into, like, 4 by 3 like, academy ratio. Doesn't Cloud Atlas do this, too? I don't know. I haven't seen Cloud I Atlas. There was, I know that it has the framing stories, but I thought there was some, also something with the... And maybe it's, maybe there's not. Um, there's an interesting element to the French Dispatch where, like, it changes aspect ratio from one shot to the next but not for any like purpose the way that grand budapest hotel did just because he was just like oh if i have the whole movie in black and white and four by three and then i do three seconds uh where it's in color in 169 those will be three really like those will really grab you and like yeah i guess so there's like there's like a moment where what if you were watching faust and like three quarters the way through he looks the camera's like out loud says fuck me <laughs> like there's a so like most of the can french say fuck on this podcast yeah we could say fuck okay um so like most of the french dispatch or or, or or one of the stories one of the stories is about this guy who is in prison who is a painter right and so like all the stuff about him is in four by three and it's in black and white and then you get a moment where other people look at his paintings and it's in 16.9 and full, really vibrant, like Technicolor. And you're like, wow, look at those paintings. And then it just goes back to black and white because it's like, we're just going to grab your attention. Okay, we're back to black and white now. Uh, and I think it works. I think it's fun. Um, I, oh, we have to vamp even longer. Um, Why were you watching Wizards? It's in the fucking title. What do you mean? <laughs> why are you watching Wizards? No, uh, Autumn, why did you download 17 episodes of Small Cat Monthly? <laughs> what, is, what, is this mo- what is this anime? Small Cat Monthly? I'm the small cat. That's true. Meow meow. I just thought it would be cool and it was kind of cool, but kind of obnoxious. Um... When did that movie come out? 1977. Yep. Any other movies you like from that year? No, I hate movies. Oh, okay. Um, I would like to pose a question to you about movies. Hit hit me with a question about movies. You're familiar with, like, you know, Minas Tirith, for example. Yeah. Or, um... Minas Morgul. This Marvel is another good one. Uh-huh. All great cities, but what if they were truck? Minas <laughs> 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 Tirith was Minas <laughs> We gotta watch that movie. <clears throat> what, Lord of the Rings? No, Mortal <laughs> Engines, jackass. I know. People would eat that up. Is there a Mortal Engines Funko? I'm gonna look. No, there's no way. That's not true. That's impossible. It's just not a popular movie. 
is there a Van Helsing 2004? There is more. There are Mortal Engines Funko Pops. Are they of the city? No, they're of the characters. Are there characters in that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's not just a movie about trucks. <laughs> no, it's about city trucks. You know what we should also watch? We should watch The City of Ember. Yeah, we should. Bill Murray's in that. Bill Murray's in the Bill city. Bill Murray's the mayor. <laughs> we should just read those books. Those books are great. If I remember them correctly. I remember the first book being good. I remember not liking the next few books. I remember the second one being a little bit like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. I remember the second book being shaky, and then The Prophet of Yonwood totally lost me. The third one was really weird, but by the time I finished it, I, it, I ran back around on it. And then the fourth one... I don't think I read the fourth one. Um, It was fine. It kind of tied everything up a little neat, but it's a kid's book. Yeah. Nia's back, so we don't have to vamp anymore. The vamp is back. But we can continue if she wants a break. Yeah, if Nia doesn't want a podcast anymore, we could just keep talking. I'm to become chaos. <laughs> um, hi. Hi. Uh, hopefully I'll be okay for the rest of the podcast. Are we cutting any of this? No, we're good. Okay. Um... Am I talking about my next yeah, movie? Stop dancing in front of me. If Go. you wish to banish me, you must give me kisses three. <laughs> I've banished her, everybody. Um, sent that bitch to the shadow realm. <laughs> so, I got. We have three more things to get to. Oh, um, Christ, we're almost two hours in, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. The first one I'm going to talk about, we're an hour and a half in. Um, Whatever. I wouldn't have gone this long on Pig if we had Blow Up to talk about. So. Yeah. Um, so, Satan's Princess. So, backstory. Um, yesterday, we're recording this Sunday. So, like, yesterday was Saturday. My birthday is coming up. And before anyone, like, hops into the Discord and wishes me happy birthday, don't. Um I, I don't like my birthday. Um, I have like stuff around my birthday where I, I've just been kind of extra stressed and dealing with it sometimes by just like doing a bunch of stuff around the house. So then I'm like working and not thinking about how I don't like my birthday coming up. Um, and so yesterday I was just like doing a shit ton of dishes and laundry and like cleaning and stuff. Um, and while I was doing laundry, I was just like folding, uh, like four or five loads of laundry. Um, and I was like, well, I'm just going to put on like a, a movie that I don't really care that much about because I'm not going to be super paying attention to it while I fold everything. Um, and so I picked the Satan's princess, which is just, it was one of the movies that was on that, like uh rare film or whatever, where I think I forget if it was lesbian or vampire that I had, had searched there, but I searched both of those terms because I'm me. Um, and this is one of the ones no that came out. Um, and <laughs> this is, this is kind of both, although, uh, she's never like explicitly named as a, a vampire, but, um, basic plot of it. The thing that I, I kind of knew about this movie, but that, um, I was not expecting to be such a major part of this movie, uh, is the fact that it is mostly a sad cop movie. Um, it's just like. The, the main character is this guy who was on the force, but then got injured. Um, he's played by Robert Forster. So seeing him made me like excited for 
Lynch stuff, because uh, I know he's at least in, like, Mulholland Drive, I think. Um, he was, like, very, uh, like... He is a... Uh, guest star on Twin Peaks? The... the, or, or the, the yeah, he's, doing, like... He's a recurring character in Twin Peaks Season 3, I'll say. Okay. Yeah, I did see that he was in Twin Peaks Season 3, but I... I don't, I haven't watched that stuff yet, but, um, you don't, oh my God, you don't know. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to shut the fuck up. I'm going to shut the fuck up. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I want to watch all that before we actually get to it on the podcast, I think, but um, I know I just don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. Um, like honestly, there are a number of people acting in this who would go on to like not be big actors, but like, you know, Notable actors who might sometimes get cast in a, a like Twin Peaks or Mulholland Drive kind of thing, where it's like going for this like slightly campy TV stuff, but also like want someone who can actually do some decent acting. Um, this mm. is not like that great of a script, but yeah, he's he basically plays this uh, guy who is a cop but got injured. Um, while like chasing down some criminals, the, the sequence we get like a dream sequence that shows when he got injured. Um, and there's a part where the, the criminals go to try and hide in a public bathroom. And there's just like a trans woman and some like guy that she was presumably blowing or something who like run out. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand why that was in there. Um, cause the rest of this is just like very like boring, like, the, the sex scenes in this are, like, extremely the, like, Cinemax, Skinemax kind of softcore, where mostly it's just boobs. Um, mm-hmm. Not, like, an actual understanding of, like, what lesbian sex might be like. It's just, like, two women in bed when there's lesbian stuff. Um, and it's mm. just, now you get to see two boobs. Um, but, yeah, so uh, he got injured and then... Um, is not on the force anymore because you know, he, he can't be a police officer with a cane and an injured leg. And then he spends the entire movie going around as a private detective. Who's like beating the shit out of people and stuff. Um, a big like underlying part of this movie is, uh, he can actually get more done than the police force because he can just beat the shit out of people and doesn't have to worry about the, you know, red tape and, uh, people above him and everything. Now that he's like gone on his own. Um, Anyway, but yeah, a ton of the movie is just him investigating, like, this runaway girl, um, and what's going on there, and, like, a a murder that occurred and everything, um, and then it becomes, like, even more personal when his his old buddy on the force, uh, who's been, like, helping him out, uh, with some of the case stuff, um, ends up getting killed as well by, like, the same group of people. Um, but essentially he, he ends up investigating and discovering that it's like this weird demon woman or, or vampire or something. She's like, uh, you know, died 30 years ago, according to like records, but hasn't, is still alive and hasn't changed at all. Uh, looks the same and might be timeless, may have been like even older. Um, and just sort of investigating the case and like getting seduced by her, except I was hoping that it would be like a longer, more interesting seduction, but it's literally like, he just goes to interview her at a party and she's just like, why don't we come to my place? And then she just has sex with him. And you, you see Robert, Robert Forster's ass for like a little bit. So if you want to see his ass, this is a good movie for that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The, the thing is like, 
this was sold to me as being like, yeah, it's kind of like a, a really schlocky like B movie um, that, you know, was made direct to to tape, I think, um, at the time. Uh, so it was just like released on home video. Um, and, and I kind of like expected all of that stuff, but I, I just expected it to like, because of it being direct to video, I was expecting it to sometimes just like get weirder or just like, like I was expecting it to be more blood horny is really the thing because it's, I was sold mm-hmm. to me as like Satan's princess. She's like a vampire or something. Um, and there is a scene very early on the, the murder scene of one of the girls that he's investigating. Um, this guy like slashes her across the chest and she's like topless. And so then there's like, it's like, obviously the, the fake knife just has some red paint on it, basically blood. Um, but they then like cut to another shot where there's like more running down her chest. And that led me to believe that it was going to be blood horny. And then it just never, there's never anything even to that degree, which was honestly pretty tame. Um, Mm -hmm. so that was one of the things is I was just like, man, I thought this was going to be like way weirder and like more blood all over and everything. Um, and really most of it was like very tame. Um, and the sex scenes were just really bad, soft core, like twinkling piano, piano, always for some reason, like a satin bed, um, just like shots of like characters chest up, um, and then cut away, um, so it was not nearly as fun as I was hoping, but I did end up enjoying it for other reasons. Uh, namely, towards the very end of the movie, um, I'm going to like just spoil things about this movie, but it's fine. Um, so he has a, a son who's like mentally disabled um, and ends up getting like, because she gets so close to him, she's able to like steal something that la- allows her to like control the son somehow. Uh, this never really gets explained. Um, but it's first revealed when the son, uh, becomes possessed by her and stabs him in the back with like a, an all, um, and then the part that's even better is so up until this point, like that's the most supernatural thing that's happened. Most of it has just been like people murdering and it just like, seems like she should be dead, but she's like out of time and still young. Um, but there's this part where she like possesses him and the, the kid goes and stabs the dad. Then later on in the movie, he's like, okay, clearly like weird stuff is going on. I'm going to go talk to this um, psychic who's like out of the game now because uh, she identified someone, but it turned out not to be the killer and she feels bad about it. Um, She's like the best actor in this movie, um, despite the fact that she gets some really bad parts to act. Um, And then there's a part where she's like doing this whole reading and and everything um, and it's like one of the most serious scenes in the movie. Um, and then suddenly she just gets flung backwards out of the window, uh, by some unseen force. The, the boy's eyes are glowing in the possessed way who just like somehow telekinesis her out of the window. Um, the dad's just screaming at him like, who are you? Who are you? Um, and then, you know, little kids like dad, I posted this on, on media pile. We should go watch it. It's just an incredible scene. Um, I was just losing my mind at this. It like just came out of nowhere and it was incredible. Um, and the, the movie just like gets more ridiculous from there. Um, the, the, like, Satan's princess character, 
um, Nicole is her name, the like vampire, basically. Um, he he goes to confront her, and she's like, "Don't you know you have to like burn me to to defeat me?" And he's like, "Okay, good." Like I brought this and just like pulls out of nowhere a flamethrower and lights her on fire and she jumps into the <laughs> pool. Um, and then she gets out of the pool and her like skin is all weird and charred. And so she just like peels the skin off of her face and just like one of the most corny, yeah. uh, you know, B movie special effects so she's just like a but instead of it being like just a normal skeleton in there she basically just turns into the predator from the predator movies like she has like the weird predator hair and like face um but it's just like a a weird naked lady version of it um and then she is trying to run away but then he put explosives in the car as well and so then the car explodes and you get a car exploding effect too like when they just blew up a car it's great it's so stupid <laughs> um it was very fun to watch it's not like a good movie i don't know if i'd recommend it unless people want this specific brand of like weird dumb uh honestly mixing genres in very bizarre ways film um but I still had a blast. That sequence, at the very least, go to media underscore pile and find that clip because um, <laughs> it's incredible. Um, and I, I, in talking, I'm gonna I'm gonna lower this down a little bit from what I gave it. Um, but there is a an ornate stairwell that goes up to like her bedroom that um, she leads him up when she's seducing him. Um, and then also he goes up when he's like going to confront her and, and fight her. So, um, it's a nice stairwell. There's lots of stairs in this movie though. There's just people constantly going up and down stairs. Um, anyway, Die Hard with a Vengeance. We both watched this one, right? Just like. We both watched this one, but not together. Yeah. <clears throat> you Which, had started um... watching it. Um, I was trying to think of something to watch while I was working and you had kind of talked about it. And I know that Em really likes this movie. And so I was like, I will watch it. And then I think because I watched all of it, it inspired you to actually finish it. Yeah. Um, I liked this movie a lot. It's just, I think that like, for me, at least where my headspace was at, just not a great movie to watch on your own. Cause it's a really exciting, fun action movie. It's a really great action movie, but it was just yeah. like. I think when I'm by myself, I more want to watch, like, a more low-key movie, like The French Dispatch, you know? Uh, because while I very much enjoyed Die Hard 3, I do, I do think I would have enjoyed it more if I had someone else to be like, oh, haha, Jeremy Irons is so funny in this movie. Yeah. Because <laughs> Jeremy Irons is fucking great in this movie. <laughs> um... um. This is a weird movie to talk about because so much happens in it and there's a lot that I could get into. And part of me is just like, I don't know if I want to spend the time talking about it in the middle of all of this. Um, because it, it's just one that feels like it's either I have to do. Yeah, it was fun. It was a great action movie. Um, you know, they I guess they wrote the part for um, Lawrence Fishburne and then Samuel L. Jackson got cast in instead and you can like see that it was kind of supposed to be for Lawrence Fishburne but also um it would have still been a way different movie if he was in the role um yeah I I think Samuel L. Jackson is the right choice yeah um but like I could talk about it briefly or I could then be like and they're casting 
you know, Lawrence Fishburne or Samuel L. Jackson in here, because this movie is talking about race, but in like very weird ways that are, you know, <laughs> what you would expect from a diehard action movie. Um, where, you know, like there's a, a sequence where John McClane is like, you're racist against me because I'm a white man and you don't like me. And it like doesn't really and, interrogate that in any way. <laughs> and because it doesn't interrogate that and because John McClane is the hero of the movie, just casually asserts that John McClane is right here because if he was wrong, we would interrogate it, you know? Yeah. Um... <laughs> And they, they both just this need to get of... over their differences to come together and and save the day. <laughs> I think what this, this movie is... believes. <laughs> this is sort of when did when did this movie come out? Die Hard Three. Ninety five. Um, oh ninety five. Okay. Yeah, that lines up. Because yeah. I sort of like I think Die Hard one is like top three action movies ever i'd have to think about it it's really high up there for me i love die hard one um that movie comes out in 1988 is and i think is like fully like i i think die hard is a movie about hey haven't the last couple years of the reagan administration been great don't you love how great the economy is right now you should vote for george hw bush this november yeah <laughs> I think that's, like, what Die Hard is on some level. Uh, and so it very much lines up to me that, like, Die Hard with a Vengeance just has this sort of, like, casual D-plot about, like, that just sort of reinforces, like, ideas about race and policing that were just, like, all over the place in Clinton's America. Like, <laughs> it yeah. just makes sense that Die Hard would just sort of, like, follow the general politics of the time as a series. Um, well, and it's like also... <laughs> it's a movie that you can feel, like, in its DNA came out after... Like, the Rodney King stuff happens, and, like, the nation yes. is talking about race in a different way than it was when Die Hard, the first movie, was being produced. And so yes. it is a movie that is, like, having to um, come out while, like, a wave of race conversations are happening, which, like, obviously there have been more conversations since. And this, like, in part because, like, those conversations happening and you get something like this that like thinks that it is like saying something about the conversation. And the thing is like, Oh, we both just need to come past our, like look past our differences and come together. You know, uh, mm -hmm. we've put a black man Di and Di a Hard cop one. together as a, uh, you know, funny duo <laughs> in an action movie yeah. where they just have to learn to love each other. You know, <laughs> Die Hard one is like, is a movie where the, the, there are two black sidekicks and only one of them matters. Um, and he is a cop who like feels bad about shooting a kid one time. Um, but then gets a big heroic moment, uh, when he ends up shooting someone later and, and die hard three is a movie that understands that you, you cannot do that still. <laughs> yeah. You cannot make that movie after the Rodney King stuff. Uh, but it's still 1995. And so it's not like smart about race in any way. It's equally clueless, just in a different way. <laughs> yeah. It's just like presenting that it is like, it is like presenting for, I think, especially a white audience that it is like engaged with these topics. 
you know, but like mm-hmm. not in any meaningful way, just in a way where like the the audience going to the theaters can be like, oh yeah, this is making yeah, me like, think about is... racism in America. <laughs> this is like just literally like things that like my parents believe. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that like, oh, if you just like, if we could just get to a place where race didn't matter, that then we would solve racism. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and that you know the way the way we can get to a place that where race doesn't matter is if we get a racist white cop together with a quote unquote racist black guy. Yeah, <laughs> so ridiculous. Also, once again, this is like a D plot in a movie that is just like packed to the gills with like stuff. There yeah. is so much stuff happening in this movie. <laughs> Um, it's also, it's funny because the, the movie is aware that he needs to be like this, like vague divorce guy energy stuff with like his wife, but this movie was not written to be like, this was back when like scripts would just get passed around a ton, um, and would just Mm. like get rewritten for like, no, this is going to become the next part in this series. Um, and so I forget like all the other stuff that it was it was written or like option for like all the rewrites that the script went through. Uh, but there are like numerous other action movies that this could have been. And so it's so funny how like at the very end, it's just like, you know, Samuel Jackson's character Zeus being like, Oh, you should go call your wife on the payphone. Yeah. Like, it's just like put in at the end being like, Oh, don't, don't forget. Don't forget. This is what McLean's about. <laughs> Yeah, remember the heart and soul of the first movie? Let's pay some lip service to that before we get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's also funny when, like, Christmas comes up in this, too, just because it's like, yeah. well, that's what the first movie was about, so we gotta put some Christmas yeah. in here. Uh, it's so good. <laughs> uh, there's some, like, really stupid um, jokes as well. Uh that like like weird political jokes that just come up there's like a hillary clinton joke and a trump joke in a way that like is just weird (laughs) seeing a movie from 95 (laughs) and being like it's amazing how how far how not far we've come (laughs) right because it's like in 1995 i'm sure those are just like Oh, haha! Everybody in the th- in the theater sits and laughs. You know, I, it, yeah. it's not a huge laugh line. I just think it would get a chuckle out of everybody in the theater. And then, like, fast forward to twenty twenty two, and we're watching this. Like, ah, American politics didn't change. <laughs> it's literally still those two people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I looked it up. So uh, there are multiple ones that are being optioned for Die Hard three. Uh, one of the scripts that. Uh, made it pretty far was titled troubleshooter and had McLean fighting terrorists on a Caribbean cruise line, but was rejected for being too similar to under siege and was later repurposed to be speed Two cruise control. <laughs> um, yeah. And then what they decided <laughs> to do for die hard three. Different. <laughs> yeah. What they decided to do for die hard three was a sequel to lethal weapon. <laughs> it was supposed yeah. to be a sequel to lethal weapon. And you're like, yeah, I could see how this was supposed to be a sequel to lethal weapon. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. <laughs> Um, oh, we got a lem. I'm trying to think of other stuff I want to touch on. One, uh, Jeremy Irons is incredible. 
I he love is. him. Yeah. I love him so much. Um, and two, they cut that man in half with a wire. <laughs> they cut that man in half with a fucking wire. It's incredible. <laughs> If you don't know what we're talking about, go watch Die Hard 3 and you'll know. Yeah. <laughs> they um, cut a man in half. <laughs> it's funny how much, like, there are, like, multiple fake outs, I feel like, about what this plot is going to be. Um, For a while, you think that, like, the plot is going to be a bunch of, like, solving puzzles that are being set out by Simon, who says, Simon says, who's, like, you know, the main, is J- Jeremy Irons' character here. Um hmm and it's just funny as it goes on like it becomes increasingly clear that like none of the puzzles matter it's just him like kind of messing around with this one guy while they're doing all the stuff that they actually want to do which is like yeah you know um robbing the federal reserve bank and then you're just like oh okay so it's gonna like turn into like a big shootout in the federal reserve bank i've seen die hard it's gonna be all in this building um it's gonna be like Mm -hmm. a long movie that takes place there and then it's like no they get there and they've already like gotten all the gold bricks and then it just like keeps being like okay now they're trying to like get the gold bricks that are on this the ship oh no they're not on the ship (laughs) um it just like keeps faking you out about what it, what it, this movie is even like what's happening. Um, but I thought it was, I liked that aspect of it because it it did make it be like, oh okay, like this is how they're pulling one over on the police is that there's just like multiple levels of Mister X happening here. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it it was still like. It was just funny to me how much I felt like this movie was going to be about them trying to solve puzzles, and it felt like what it was, but then they would solve the puzzles, and it, like, never mattered. <laughs> they right. were always late, <laughs> or they would solve the puzzle, and they would go there, and there was, like, nothing there for them, or... <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was just a spectacular action movie. Um, it was just very fun to watch this while I was at work. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Um, do you want to tell me about Madam Butterfly? Yeah, I guess I can finish here. This is like a very short film to summarize because, um, so this is a, a short film by Tsai Ming Long, um, and uh, is definitely like one of his, this is really described as like a big slow cinema piece by him. Um, and so, Basically, there's like there are three shots in this movie, which is like 40, 50 minutes long. I forget exactly how long. Um, the first shot is an extend, like extreme long take of um, the main character, who was presumably Madame Butterfly, um, and is like the only actual actor in this film, going around like the actual bus station. Um, in uh, I think it's Kuala Lumpur um, and mm. trying to like figure out how to get home because she's basically been like stood up by her boyfriend um, and she's just wandering all around um, and sorry I got distracted for a second um, she's like wandering around going like place to place trying to figure out like okay maybe I'll go to the ticket counter I don't have enough money but like maybe I can figure out a way to to get the ticket um, or I'm gonna like go here and you know 
I, I'm going to buy a banana because I'm just like stranded here and I'm going to eat that and sit here and think about what to do and, you know, call my boyfriend and be like, can you please just come pick me up and all of these things. Uh, and so there's a lot of her just like wandering around going from place to place. Um, then uh, the second shot is this like she sat down and we actually get like a dedicated shot to just like her kind of coming to terms with like he's just not going to come and get me. Um, I'm just like stranded here. I don't know how I'm going to get home. And then it cuts from that to uh, her. Finally, somehow she's gotten home um, and she's just laying in bed um, and just like acting through the process of like laying in a, a bed where the person who used to lay there next to you is not there anymore. Um, and mm. you're kind of just like missing them. Um, and just like finding weird remnants that they left, like, oh, here's just like a, a tissue that they like sneezed in or something. Um, and that's the final shot of the movie. This is the entirety of the movie. (laughs) Um, yeah. And definitely like, I, I prefer his feature length stuff over this. Um, but I did think there was some stuff that was interesting to it. One is, um... I feel like I haven't seen a ton of Simon Long, but I, I feel like he often has like a very static camera that's kind of sitting in a place and we might see an action for a prolonged period of time in that space. But the camera is like sitting and is like fully composed in a in a like static, unmoving way. Um, and things just kind of move through the space. And you'll even like return to here's that hallway again and it's framed the exact same way. And now someone else is moving through the hallway or whatever. Right. Um, because he is, he is literally the cameraman who's just going around filming the actress in a like bus station. That's full of people who are just people going about their day. Um, the camera is just like constantly moving and shaking. It's like a handheld cam. And so it was very interesting seeing these elements of his style, but then contrasting with like, here's this like very shaky handheld camera that I just don't associate with the stuff that I've seen from him. Um, so that was one of the interesting things in, in watching it for me. Um, and the, the other part was just like how much this fully, by only having one actor, um, was able to just like fully focus in on like the actual process over a period of time of someone like coming to terms with like, no, like this person is just like broken up with me and I'm alone now. Um, Mm -hmm. and giving like space to that feeling and, and letting someone just like act that feeling on the screen for, for really extended shots. Um, so again, I don't know, like, I don't think I would recommend this over like going and watching, you know, rebels of the neon God or goodbye dragon in or whatever. Um, but it, it was still, I think if like people have seen some Simon long, it's worth checking out. Um, so yeah. And I, I gave it a B minus for the stairs. Cause, um, there's a part where she is going up the stairs in the, the like bus station. Um, and it's honestly one of the like best frame shots. Like he kind of like finds in that moment going up the stairs a really good way to frame it. Um, mm-hmm. so I realized we didn't rate Die Hard with a Vengeance. I don't remember. I know there are stairs. I do not I don't remember, remember any stairs. Just do you, question. You want to give it an F? Uh, we'll just do question marks. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Are we done or do we want to do the the box office game? Uh, we're done. Yeah, I'm kind of tired. I'm worn out. Um, I have literally done six hours of podcasts today. I'm worn the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry for making you podcast with me. No, no, don't be sorry. I wanted to podcast. I just... Oh, I'm tired now. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was just my alarm that says that I should take my sleepy time melatonin. So yeah, we can we can wrap this. Where can people find you? People can find me. <clears throat> people can find me on Twitter <laughs> at terminal underscore coffee, or they can go to the podcast at exportodd.io. Uh. That takes you to the Patreon, and on the Patreon page, we have links to all the free feeds, or you can give us a dollar a month and get access to all the pods early, or you can give us $5 a month and get access to Pop Town Funk. If you enjoyed Nora's guest segment with the bad audio, uh, I'm sure, I, I, I assume she was standing far away from the microphone and in the opposite direction of where it's pointed, but that's fine. I love her. Uh, she didn't expect to be guesting. Um, if you enjoyed that segment, uh, Pop Town Funk is the podcast for you because that is yep. just the the general tenor of what Pop Town is. So, also like once you forgot to use the actual mic or something, you had like an issue with your cord, and so the audio yeah, may even a... fe- feel familiar there. <laughs> this is yeah, a good episode. There's one. The cord we had that c- hooked up the Yeti to the computer was a little janky and also one of my usb ports just doesn't want to work with the yeti for some reason so we've solved both those issues i think i hope yeah um it's still a good episode yeah um people can find me at fox omnia on twitter uh once again don't wish me happy birthday unless you're like actually legit friends with me then i'm okay with it but i don't want strangers wishing me happy birthday don't do it um and you can also follow at media underscore pile m-e-d-i-a-m-h underscore p-i-l-e um and please go check out that video of the woman getting thrown out the window do it <laughs> uh also go listen to ghost divers export odd.io slash ghost divers i think i think that's it at ghost divers pod on twitter um yeah i'm glad that we've now done like two other movies so they don't have to keep saying that end of ava is the best like single episode of the podcast to listen to <laughs> That's still a good episode, but... Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying, yeah. I yeah. thought you were talking about this podcast. I was like, the rebuild episode was fine, I guess. No, it's not... no. <laughs> no. Um, Ghost Divers. I still think that our End of Evangelion episode is one of our best episodes, if like people want a oh, good yeah, desolation of what we are, but also the, the Ghost in the Shell movies now are, are good as well. So. I like the ones that I'm on. Yeah, those are really good ones. Mm-hmm. I think they're better than the other ones. That's not because true. I'm on them. You didn't. You told me <laughs> while listening to the Utena ones that you thought those were our best yes. podcasts yet. So, um. <laughs> yes, the Utena episodes are undoubtedly better than the Ray Earth episodes. <laughs>
Um, anyway, Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. And Nana is great. Yeah. <laughs> 